Well, we're going to wrap up just uh, a couple weeks that we've uh, had just focused on prayer. And uh, I'm excited for the next couple weeks uh, too, because next Sunday we have a special uh, guest, special um, gift. A uh, young man is going to uh, preach his first message uh, here uh, next Sunday and share how God has been working in his life. And I'm just so, so excited uh, for that, just to, to hear that next week. And then in a couple weeks, we're going to start just a conversation on marriage and uh, talk about marriage. And so even if you're not married uh, here, uh, there is uh, stuff in there for you as well. And so we're going to spend a couple weeks just talking about marriage, and then uh, we'll probably hop into money after that. So two M's, marriage and money. So you know what? Uh, That should be a good time. Well, I have a friend. uh, He's an old college friend, and he uh, shared some things um, I saw the other day that I just thought were funny. So I'm going to start with a couple jokes. So these are not mine. So if you don't like them, um, then they're not mine. (laughs) You haven't even heard these, C.C. Roberts. The inventor of the windshield factor died recently. He was 84 years old, but he felt like he was 62. See, my father-in-law likes that. Or then what word starts with W and ends with I-F-E and can be very dangerous? Wildlife. Speaking of, you get it. Thank you. Thank you, Nancy. <laughs> you keep encouraging me, Nancy. That's right. Speaking of my wife, Wednesday night. Wednesday night. We had a great time uh, in the lobby talking. How can we have these gospel conversations? We went home and there were a couple of things that we needed to talk about uh, in our life. There were some things that we just needed to get on the same page on. And so uh, she's like, hey, you want to hop in the hot tub? And I said, sure, let's hop in the hot tub, the same hot tub that we baptized uh, a couple people here in this church. And so we uh, sat in the hot tub where we have uh, conversations that are free of distractions. And uh, there we sat and talked and quickly realized that we weren't necessarily on the same page uh, with things. And as we talked, as we interacted, the, the temperature in the hot tub, the water went down, but the temperature between us went up because we were frustrated with each other. And there was um, some anger that was rising as we shared like, hey, this is what I think about this topic. This is what you think about this topic. And we were not on uh, the same page. And we sat there in the hot tub for over an hour and we're like, we're going to nail this down and settle this as like emotions were rising and the temperature both in our souls were rising uh, you know, in the midst of the hot tub and there was just frustration in between us and anger uh, in between us. Now, eventually we did get things settled and you're like, how does this relate to prayer? Well, one of the things that I've noticed in the midst of heated conversations when you get angry or when, you know, something starts to boil inside of you, your passion and your priorities come to the surface. You know, I think arguing or having a, a heated debate can be very good because it's in those moments that what is a priority gets communicated. It comes from the, the depths of the heart out your mouth to the other person. Now, in the Bible, it says, in your anger, do not sin. So anger can lead to sin, but anger in and of itself is not sin because it can reveal things like, okay, this is what's important to me. There's a situation, a story in scripture in Mark chapter 11, when we see Jesus differently than we normally see him. And he's angry. 
He's really, he's really angry. And this is a, a different picture of Jesus. It's not eight pounds, six ounce baby Jesus just lying there in a manger. This is a different version of Jesus than we normally think of. So look at these words out of Mark chapter 11, verse 15. It says, They came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple, and he began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. I mean, Jesus right here is angry. He's, he's a bouncer. He's kicking people out. He's overturning tables. He's really frustrated as he's in the temple. And he's, he's causing quite a scene. Like, why was he angry? What was the, the thing that was motivating him? He was teaching them. Verse 17, and saying to them, this is why he was angry. Is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. Here, here Jesus is, is so angry. He's kicking people out. And why is it? Because they had made his house something completely different than he had wanted. See, he says, my house will be called a house of prayer. My house will be called a house of relationship, a relationship with, with God. And here he is in this temple, and the temple was a place where the very presence of God dwelled on earth. Now the temple is in us and in us collectively, but at that time, the, the presence of God uh, on earth was in the temple. And so Jesus is saying, you have made a mockery out of the very presence of God. My house is going to be a house of prayer, a house of seeking God, of talking with God, of meeting with God, a meeting place with Him, a place where He dwells. But now there's just people exchanging goods and services in the temple. Jesus says, my house will be called a house of prayer. Jesus was angry. And in that moment of anger, He didn't sin, but revealed His passion, His heart. He's like, my house will be called a house of prayer. As you look at the landscape of the church today, are we known as being a house of prayer? Are we known of, of being a people who are desperate for the presence of God? I mean, if Jesus walked in here or walked in other places, what would he do? What would he say? Think of Psalm 63 where, where David is saying, God, you are my God and earnestly I seek you. I hunger and thirst for you. Is that the type of people that we are today? And now I can say, like, I look about out amongst all of you, and, like, there's a passion rising up, a desperation for the Lord. And I love that. But I always think, like, there's, there's more that Jesus is calling us to, to be a house of prayer, a people that are desperate for his presence. I think about this, and Jesus saying that my house will be called a house of prayer. And, you know, why don't we pray? Why don't we pray maybe as, as often as we should? Why don't we engage in a conversation with God as often as we should? And, and there's just a couple of things that came to my mind this week. And I think, you know, the first one is obvious. And there's many people that have talked about this. And uh, I'm not going to go deep into this. But I think the first thing is we're just a very distracted people. You know, just pull out your phone. You know, you can see how distracted you are. You know, I'm distracted. I sit down in my chair to have some time with the Lord and I'm like, I'm going to open up the news or I'm just going to read for a couple minutes just as I get a cup of coffee because my, I want the Lord to have my full attention and he won't have my full attention unless I get a little caffeine in me. And then 30 minutes later, I look back and I'm like, oh, I've wasted so much time. We're distracted people. But I also, and this one is a, a little bit different, a lot different, but I think the core of a, out of, as a reason why we don't pray is I think we're discouraged or we can be disappointed. Because I look at prayer, 
And we hear the stories, we hear testimonies. And there have been a number of testimonies the last couple weeks, God answering in very, very specific ways. But when it comes to prayer, like I can honestly say that I have been disappointed. I have been discouraged. For over 25 years, I've been praying the same prayer. Out of Acts 4, God, would you just uh, fill us with your Holy Spirit? Would you send us out in signs and wonders you know, to see the, the advancement of your gospel? And then there in Acts 4, the, the foundations of the, the building where they're at, you know, it shakes. There's, a, my, there's, a, there's an earthquake. And I've been praying, Lord, would you do that? I want to see that. I want to see that in a very tangible way. And for over 25 years, I haven't seen it yet. Now, this week, we all get encouraged when we see the revival happening down in Asbury College, and you're seeing, you know, amazing stuff down there. And I'm like, God, would you do it again here? Would you do it in this place? But I bet if I, we were to talk and have a conversation, I bet one of the reasons you may not, might not pray as much as you, you, you do is because you're discouraged, you're disappointed. And that leads to another thing, doubt. We have a lot of doubt when it comes to prayer. I think doubt in, a, in, our, in our, our, ourselves. Doubt in ourselves, like, are we doing it right? Because I've heard this numerous times. We hear people who pray and, and we think, like, I can't pray like that. I don't have those words. I'm not as eloquent as they are. And so we doubt ourselves, which is sad because prayer is just talking to God. Prayer is just like, hey, God, this is what I got going on. But I often, I also would say that we doubt God. We don't believe by our actions that God can be trusted. And so when it comes to things in our lives, we work hard or we think we can figure it out instead of praying like we should. Now, I think all of this is just such an opportunity that we have to grow in prayer. Because I hear the Lord saying out of Luke 18, Jesus teaching a parable about a persistent widow. And he says this, he says, this is how you should pray. And so the Lord is calling us to persist in prayer to continue to dive into prayer, to be a people of prayer, to be a people that keep knock, knock, knocking on heaven's door. Like we're going after it, Lord. This is what we want. And to be a people that are pouring out our hearts in a real and raw way before our Father. Because that, after all, is how Jesus taught the disciples to pray. That's how Jesus prayed. And the disciples, they looked and they saw how he prayed and they're like, there's something different with him. And so they came to Jesus in Luke chapter 11 and said, Jesus, will you teach us how to pray? And the cool thing is Jesus taught them to pray by praying. And this is, these are the words that he taught them. And we're going to read these out of Mark chapter five, or Matthew chapter 5. So when they asked him, Lord, teach us to pray. He said this, pray like this. In Matthew chapter 6 verse 9. Pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses." We read that prayer, and, and sadly, the Lord's Prayer, or in other uh, circles, it's just simply called the Our Father, like this prayer has become just kind of rote, like just something that we read and we, we kind of go through without meaning, but this was such an invitation into relationship. Jesus was teaching them, like, this is how you pray, this is how you come before your Father, 
And first of all, he, he totally changed how they approached God. They, were no, they knew a, a culture of approaching God in a very reverent way. But he says, this is how you approach God. You come to him as a child and coming to your father and saying, our father. So he changed how they saw God, but they also changed how, he also changed how they saw themselves. But he says, your first approach to your father is going to be one of worship. And we talked about that last week. Our first approach, he says, as we talk about like our fathers, we start to pray as we approach our father, we say, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. You are set apart. You are holy. You are worthy of all worship. He says, that's how we're to start, kind of like we started today. There's power in worship. I think about Paul, and I think about the way that he prayed, and, and we see a number of his prayers all throughout the New Testament. And what's interesting, Paul never begins his prayers with the mess of his life. He never he starts with the problems in his life. I got this. I'm in chains. I'm getting beat up for the gospel. I'm just like, all this. Oh, woe is me. No, it doesn't start with the mess of his life. Instead, he starts with magnifying God, exalting God. He starts with worship. I mean, I love this. Philippians 4. I reference this at the very beginning. Piper, if you want to throw that up there. It says, Paul is saying this to those in Philippi. As he is being chained, as he's in chain, chained next to a guard uh, in house arrest, he says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand or the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, with worship, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And so as, as Jesus is teaching them to pray, he says, start with our Father. Start with this invitation into this childlike relationship with your Father in heaven, where you just worship him and give him all the glory that he deserves. But then, when it comes to asking when it comes to pouring out your requests before him, there is an invitation that Jesus gives to his disciples, to you and I, to loosen the control that we want to have over our lives. Because he says, when you pray, go on and say this, your kingdom come, your will be done. I mean, I think about the brokenness in our lives. I think about the brokenness in this world. I think about the, the, the scenes that we see on TV, the earthquake in, in Turkey and Syria. We, th we see just the brokenness uh, in people's lives. And how are we to pray for those situations? I know so often I am lost at, at words and I'm like, I don't know how to pray for the brokenness. I don't know how to pray for sickness. I don't know how to pray for, for things that are going on in this world. And Jesus says, this is how we should pray. When we come across situations, God, we want your kingdom to come. Father, we want your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And this is such a beautiful way to pray because when we understand the kingdom of God, when we understand what we're actually saying, it's the best thing that we can pray. Because if you look at Revelation 21, what is the kingdom of God like? What is, how is the kingdom of God described? Look at where this world is going in Revelation 21. When we get past all of the, the crap that's you know, going to happen before we get there, Revelation 21 is this beautiful picture where it says God will dwell with his people. God will be present with his people. And if a tear drips down someone's eye, it says he, God, our father, will wipe the tear from our eyes. There will be no more sickness, no more death. Like that is what we are praying when we're praying over situations in alignment with Jesus' prayer. 
We're praying for the kingdom of God to come powerfully into our lives. And that's what we should pray for more and more. Like as you go to the restaurant this afternoon, as you watch the Super Bowl this evening, like as you go through your day, be constantly praying, God, we want to see heaven come to earth. And we're not going to be satisfied until we do. And what a beautiful thing. We come before our Father, who is also a king, which means we're an heir, and we get to loosen the control that we want over our lives and say, we give it to you, our Father, our King. Have your kingdom come. Your will be done. But then it moves on. In this prayer that is so relational, Jesus says, now pray like this. Give us today our daily bread. And this one is so revolutionary. This is an invitation to daily depend on our Father. This language, though, this give us this day our daily bread as we're thinking about what we need today, this is not like high and lofty language. This is very earthy language. This is an invitation to be real with our Father. Like Hebrews talks about in Hebrews 10, to, to come before Him with a sincere heart, to pour it all out before our Father. But what also strikes me with this is we're to be real. And I would ask you, like, are your prayers with your Father, are they real and honest? Are you pouring out your heart in a very authentic way? But this one always gets me because I'm supposed to come to my Father and say, give us this day our daily bread. But if you read right before this section, doesn't our Father know what we need before we ask? So then my question always is, why do I have to ask? If you know what I need before, you know, I ask, like, why, why do I even have to ask? But in this prayer is a beautiful invitation into relationship. Why do we want to, why are we supposed to ask? All throughout Scripture is this, this very foundational piece of the kingdom of God is that He wants us to ask. And why does He want us to ask? Because He wants relationship. Because He wants us to daily depend on Him. I mean, what would happen if you had a lot of resources and you filled up your barns full of resources and you had food and you had drink and you had all of that stuff? What would happen in your soul if that was a reality in your life? Would there be a desperation crying out to your father saying, God, I need this today? No, see, when we have plenty, when we're not in need, we don't walk in a daily dependence with our father. This invitation goes against everything that we see in our culture. Culture that says save. Save for a later date. You know, when we do that, then we're like, oh, we're all good. This is an invitation into deep dependence on our Father. And we see this all throughout the Old Testament. But there's also an invitation in this to be empowered by the Lord. Because we are co-laborers with Christ. And we need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to come and ask Him and say, I need you to move in my life in this situation. And so there's this beautiful invitation all throughout this prayer, an invitation into relationship, an invitation into deep dependence. And then he goes on and he says, and I recognize that each of these statements could be a whole message by itself. But then he goes on and he says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. This one, this statement is an invitation to live lightly, to live with not a burden on our shoulders. See, as we come before the Lord, and we ask, Lord, search our hearts. Know the evil inside of us. And there's evil inside of all of us. There's things that we've done. But there's a daily invitation to be reminded that his mercies are new every morning. That he is slow to anger, abounding in love. That he gives grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. 
to come to him and pour out our hearts before him and to receive and be reminded of the amazing gift of salvation that we have in Jesus Christ, that we're not defined by our, sin, by our sins, but we're defined by our Savior in heaven. And so this is such an invitation as we carry things to say, you know what, God, I'm coming before you, and I know that you're forgiving, and so I'll, I'm going to ask, forgive us our sins. But then there's that, that other part. But we also have, also forgive those who sinned against us. Forgive our debtors. We carry things. We get hurt by people. And this is an invitation by our Father to not ignore what happened, but to give it to the one who can actually take care of it. Forgiveness is powerful because we carry things that we are not supposed to carry. Forgiveness is all about sending things away. And so when Jesus says, this is how you pray, you go before your father and you say, forgive those who have hurt me. It's giving them over to God instead of carrying them ourselves. And then Jesus continues. And he says, lead me not into temptation. Lead me. God, I know you want to lead me. Father, I know you want to lead me. You know the, the right way to go. You know the direction that I'm supposed to go. Lead me. But then the last part says, deliver me. What's the last part say? Deliver us from evil. And that is so powerful. Because even as we're led into temptation, there are going to be moments where we get stuck. Where we need to be delivered. And the very heart of our Father is to come to Him and say, deliver us from evil. Psalm 107 is filled with story after story of people finding themselves in a mess. And what happens? They cry out to the Lord. And He doesn't come and say, well, how'd you get in this mess? Why'd you get here? I told you better. Shouldn't have done that. No, He delivers them over and over and over again. And so I look at this whole prayer and the very bottom line that I want us to walk out from here today is this, that we have an invitation into a constant relationship with our Father in heaven. This is what Jesus is always inviting us into. This is what prayer is at the very core, is just pouring out our hearts. And I love going through this prayer and taking an issue in my life and saying, you know what, I'm just going to go through it line by line. God, I have this relationship. I have this thing going on in my life. These people that I'm praying for, I'm praying like, Father, your kingdom come. Your will be done. You know, and then we go into the needs. And, and God, there's a situation and I, I, I'm asking for this. There's a, such an invitation into relationship when it comes to prayer. And I believe that is why Jesus was so angry. When he came to the temple, he's like, you missed it. It was never about, it was never about religion. It was never about buying these animals and, and doing this. It was all about a relationship with the Father. And so today and, may, today and every day, may our lives be characterized by that. May we be known as a house of prayer. May we be known as people who are constantly pleading before the Lord and understanding that He's a good Father that wants to pour out good gifts to His kids, to, to us, and to give the Holy Spirit to lead and direct and so what I want to do is the worship team comes up. We're going to just uh, close with one song. What a beautiful name. And what I want you to do right now is just in Matthew 6, there's, I'm sure there's situations going on in your life and there's things that are coming to mind and there's problems that you're facing or relationship issues. I want you to take one of those. As we even sing this song, just take that situation and run it through the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. In, in uh, Matthew chapter 6. Pray that God's kingdom would come. Pray that the, the Father's kingdom would come. Pray His will would be done, not our own will. Maybe there's even 
something that you're carrying that you're not supposed to carry. Maybe you need to forgive somebody this morning. There's power in forgiveness. There's power in letting that go. It doesn't mean that you're going to be reconciled to the person. That's a longer process. But forgiveness is something that we're called to do. And when we do that, we recognize that we ourselves receive that freedom. And so let's sing this song. Let's stand. Or if you need to sit and pray through something, I just want us to be praying through a situation in our life. Just pray through the Lord's Prayer and ask the Lord to come in a powerful way.